Hello, and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 183. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and somehow, miraculously, I am joined by my co-host and nemesis, Pete Michaud. It is always good to be here, Chris. It is moderately good to have you back, Pete. (laughs) Ooh, harsh. Things have been crazy busy for us recently, but we are finally back to talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo. And things haven't just been busy for us, they've been busy for everyone in the industry pretty much, as the holiday gaming season is already upon us in full force. We've got big games from major franchises, little indie games, physical games, digital games, portable games, ports, originals, and everything else (laughs) in between. There's literally games coming out of the wazoo. Yes, there are literally games coming out of your ears, Pete. (laughs) Coming out of your beard, maybe. (laughs) Obviously, we can only play a fraction of those, but we will be sharing our impressions of some of the latest releases in this episode, as well as discussing a little bit of news, and then we have our big topic, which we are calling The Last of the Wii U Ports. Ooh. However, before we get to that, we have a bunch of new games to talk about, so let's kick it off with some game impressions, starting with Dragon Quest XI-S, Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition. I'm not really sure that's where the S goes, but as far as I can tell, let's just put it there. That seems good (laughs) to me. Anyway, this is an epic vast, beautiful entry in the Dragon Quest series. It is the latest installment of the granddaddy of RPGs with nearly unmatched production values. This game looks gorgeous with a very clean, bright anime-style aesthetic with Akira Toriyama designs and has an excellent orchestral score, yet is also one of the most traditional RPGs around. Yeah, this one looks uh, pretty epic. You uh, enjoying it so far? Yeah, I would say so. You know, I spent a lot of time with the demo when that came out. And after racking up more than 15 hours on that, I decided, sure, I'm going to transfer my progress into the full game and keep going from there. But yeah, this basically has, you know, kind of everything you'd expect out of a Dragon Quest game. It still has menu-driven, turn-based battles. You get to fight with physical attacks or magic or abilities. Of course, you can also defend or use items. You know, very traditional, standard, what you'd expect from a Japanese RPG. It also has a very diverse cast with physical-based fighters, mages, healers, thieves, all that good stuff, and you can control your hero's growth with a skill system that lets you allocate attribute points to learn new moves or boost specific stats. Sounds intense. <laughs> I don't know if intense is the right word, but you know, certainly is a very feature-rich, fleshed-out game, and they really didn't hold back with anything. It even has full voice acting in both English and Japanese, oh, wow. although I have to tell you that English voice acting can be a little annoying at times. Like, <laughs> one of the characters you meet early on, Eric, he sort of sounds kind of British at first, and then sometimes kind of slides into this sort of street-smart New Yorker accent, and then kind of hovers between them, And but now he's been like in this New Yorker mode for like the last several hours of gameplay, so I don't really know what's going on with him. <laughs> And then there's this character named Veronica, who's a little girl, and she just sounds annoying no matter what she says. Kind of like me? <laughs> yes, very much like that, Pete. <laughs> Couldn't help it. Anyway, even though I'm already up to like 25 hours of gameplay, I feel like I'm just barely scratching the surface of this title. Like, the game begins casually enough. You're the main character, you're sort of coming of age, and then you discover that you are the reincarnation of the Luminary, some legendary hero. And so you get on your horse, and you leave town, and you journey to the castle where you meet the king, but then the king declares that you are actually the Darkspawn, and suddenly you're on the run. You get imprisoned. (laughs) 
you escape, you meet this Eric guy who's a thief, you're running from this dragon that's chasing you through a cave, uh, you return back to your home village, have a flashback, go to some temple, explore, get a mystical item, escape through some magic doorway. You know, I don't want to give away all the specifics, but basically, I have visited several big towns since then, completed numerous quests, grown my party to several members, competed in an intense horse race. Horses are pretty scary, you know. <laughs> but I am still on the run from the king and his army. You know, wow. more than 25 hours in, and I'm not really entirely sure where the story is going. Like, for 23 of those hours, I've just basically been being chased by the king's knights. <laughs> wow. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> Uh, not so much terrifying, but, you know, it just kind of makes me wonder what's going to happen after this. You know, right. I did get to fight one of the major knights who's been pursuing me. And then I got my own ship and I can sail the seas. But, you know, beyond that, uh, you know, what is really going to happen from here? I mean, I guess there's some big evil dark one that's destined to return and destroy the world. <laughs> and so I know that my characters do need to reach the world tree, the Yggdrasil, to find out what's going on with the Luminary and all that stuff. But... I do kind of wish the story had come together a little more by this point, but, you know, I'm very interested in seeing where it goes from here. What if it turns out you really are the Dark One? <laughs> it could be, but this is Dragon Quest, and <laughs> Dragon Quest does tend to be pretty upbeat, so I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. That would be an interesting twist, that's for sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it does seem pretty deep as far as RPG gameplay goes, and it is pretty fun for this type of game. The one thing I would say is that it does have the potential to be very grindy. You, know, you do generally get to see the enemies in the field, and you can avoid them if you want. But for me personally, I end up fighting a lot of battles because, you know, like every enemy I see, I'm like, okay, attack, attack. And so, you know, I figure, well, if I don't fight, I'm going to be way underpowered. So I end up fighting a lot, but at least I don't feel, you know, super weak like I do in some of the older Dragon Quest games. Yeah, I don't have time for grinding anymore, but... Uh... <laughs> Well, you know, I can't promise it requires all that grinding, but it's kind of ending up that way, at least for me. Yeah. One important feature of this game that I should point out, though, is that it has this entire 2D mode built into it. And I remember being very excited when I heard about this. I'm like, oh, cool, you can switch between 2D and 3D mode anytime. That's really a cool feature, but that's not exactly how it works. Hmm. Basically, you get two games in one. There is a 2D game and a 3D game, and you can indeed switch between modes, but only at save points. Oh. And when you do that, it causes the game to sort of restart at sort of these chapter checkpoints. Hmm. Now, you do get to keep any experience and items and abilities you've acquired from your previous playtime when you do this. Uh, so it does give you a good way to experience part of the game in a different mode, and at least the difficulty is, you know, sort of toned down, so you can sort of just breeze through it if you want. But it's certainly something to keep in mind. Hmm. But, I mean, the takeaway for me is it is practically two separate games in here. You know, the same characters, the same story, the same general world design. But it's kind of like the old days when you'd have a console version of a game and then a handheld port, you know, like NES and Game Boy. And they were usually, you know, kind of different because that's what the hardware required. And that's kind of what you get here, and it's sort of amazing, really, to have basically two distinct games included in this one title. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Yeah, I've mostly been playing in 3D mode, but it is fun to switch to 2D mode once in a while. But, you know, there are a lot of differences. In the 2D mode, the enemy encounters are totally random. You don't see the enemy on the field like you do in the 3D game. Yep. The encounter rate is pretty brutal if you're playing in that mode. I will warn you that. <laughs> I bet. Uh, but speaking of 
2D, there is this whole 2D section of the game, even if you're playing in the 3D mode, it forces you into 2D for this one part, where you go to this village of Tickington and encounter these little strange creatures called Tockles. <laughs> and they let you warp into the past Dragon Quest games and sort of relive part of those adventures. I mean, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me since I haven't played through any of the previous Dragon Quest games in their entirety, but it is still pretty cool despite my limited Dragon Quest experience, I would say. Huh. Sounds fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I think if you are a longtime Dragon Quest fan, you will probably really, really enjoy that part. Now, what about the music? Will I hear the theme? Come on, Chris. Well, you will definitely hear the classic Dragon Quest theme. There are several music options. You can play full orchestral. You can play with a synthesized soundtrack. And just recently, I even unlocked the ability to listen with the Dragon Quest Eight soundtrack, I believe, for some reason. <laughs> if you like that better, you want to hear Dragon Quest Eight tunes playing when you're in the overworld, you can do that. So, yeah, there are a lot of musical and audio options in there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, ultimately, there is just a ton to do in this game. Like I said, even with 25 hours in it, I feel like there's still so much more to see, but we've got a huge world, we've got varied characters and abilities, we have a lot of depth, we have amazing production values, you know, I haven't even really talked about the fact there's a crafting system in there, and, you know, I love that old school ability to get on a vehicle and explore the overworld that way, that is, you know, very much a throwback and something that's not been in a lot of RPGs lately that is pretty darn cool to have in there, but, yeah, I mean, ultimately it doesn't reinvent the traditional Japanese RPG or anything, it sticks to tradition very, very well, but if that is the kind of RPG you Want, I would definitely recommend Dragon Quest XI. Yeah, it's cool. Now, do you see yourself actually completing this Dragon Quest? <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I've been playing a lot of different games lately, but this one is certainly near the top of my list. You know, I plan to go back and finish AI the Somnium Files first mm. because that's probably a much shorter game. But, you know, I'm planning to put in a lot more time with this one and hopefully actually see it through the end. So uh, make sure you hold me to it, okay? All right, I'm going to. Feet to the fire. Okay. Anyway, moving along, one of those other games that I have been playing recently is Ori and the Blind Forest Definitive Edition. Another Definitive Edition. We got a lot of Definitive Editions this week, apparently. And that is the title from Moon Studios and from Microsoft. It's pretty crazy to see a Microsoft game on the Switch. I mean, obviously, it's not the first with Minecraft and all that. But uh, yeah, weird to see this formerly Xbox exclusive now on Switch. Yeah, this is a big one, right? Definitely a weird combo, weird sequence of events to make this happen. <laughs> I guess so. Are you familiar with this game? Have you played it in any form previously? I haven't. You know, I've, I've heard about it and watched videos and stuff, and I've, mm -hmm. you know, read some amazing things about it, but uh, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, basically, I had heard a lot of good things about it as well, but I hadn't really heard anything very specific. So I knew that the game was supposed to be really, really good. And I've been hearing that for years, but I didn't necessarily understand what kind of game it was. Even after seeing the trailer when it was announced, you know, I saw a lot of things sort of exploding and the main character on the run, but I was still not entirely sure what the gameplay would be like. But what I now know, it really is indeed a Metroid-style action-adventure game. <laughs> oh man, just what the Switch needs. <laughs> well, I mean... I understand what you're saying, but, you know, this one does definitely stand out from the pack because it has these really vibrant HD visuals with astonishing lighting effects. Oh, cool. It's got this really impressive, emotional orchestral score and just this sort of soothing, relaxing, environmental, naturalistic 
presentation and theme that really sets it apart. I mean, the closest thing out there I could compare it to is Hollow Knight, but I think I prefer the presentation and the difficulty of Ori and the Blind Forest over that one. Hmm. Very cool. But yeah, you play as Ori, who is sort of this cat-like spirit of the forest, I guess, and you are trying to find these elements and restore the land. You know, you have some sort of narrator parent character who might secretly be your enemy that kind of sounds like Jabba the Hutt. (laughs) I feel like there might be some sort of twist coming where he's revealed to actually be the bad guy, but I'm not sure about that yet. But regardless, you do have sort of a short-range homing attack that's used for fighting enemies, and naturally, as you explore the various areas of the forest, you discover new abilities for fighting and for world traversal. You know, first you get a wall climb, then you get a big explosion for destroying certain obstacles, then you get a double jump, and in addition to finding these new abilities, you collect spirit energy that you can use to manually unlock new skills through a skill tree, like using less energy for special attacks, or being able to see the location of collectibles on your map or maybe even an air dash or other mobility moves like that. One interesting ability is that you can create your own save points at pretty much any time, which is certainly similar to Hollow Knight's health restore mechanic, but this game I believe did actually come out first if I'm not mistaken. Oh right, I guess it would have. Anyway, uh, yeah, you learn new abilities, you get to explore further into the forest. It is a familiar formula, but it's presented in a really stunning and powerful way, so it does feel like a fresh experience, despite all the other Metroid-style games out there on Switch. I would say this one is very much worth your time. Yeah, I definitely want to pick this one up. I think between the fact that it's uh, this weird marriage of Microsoft and Nintendo, and, and the fact that, uh, yeah, it sounds like it's a good game, it's uh, worth looking into. Yeah, if you're into Metroid-style games, or you know, just good games in general, <laughs> it would certainly be one I would recommend checking out. But speaking of new, noteworthy, great games, another one that came out recently on Switch is Killer Queen Black. And I understand, Pete, that you've been playing this one a bit on Switch. I have, I have. Probably haven't spent as much time with it as I would like to, but at the same time, it's a multiplayer-only game. Huh. Mostly, mostly. But I have spent a while with the arcade version, so I feel like I'm a pretty good person to be able to speak to the differences and and what Killer Queen Black is all about. Right, right. I remember when it was first announced, you were really into it and you were really excited about it, but I have still not played this game at all. You know, I think I saw some people playing it at E3, and that's about as close as I got to it. And, you know, to me, it kind of looks sort of like a modern take on the Joust formula. But beyond (laughs) that, I really don't know a whole lot about it, so... Pete, lay it on me. What is this game all about? What makes it so good? And does the Switch version hold up? Yeah. So to answer your question, this game is a, you know, the best way to say it is almost like a multiplayer arcade game, which it mostly is. That's how it started. It was this sort of offline only arcade game. You could only play in select arcades across the country. Yeah, here it's like in bars and stuff. Yeah, and it originally started as 5v5, so it was, you know, five players versus five, but you know, you don't need five. You can still play with fewer. It just kind of gives you some bots or limits the amount of people on the screen. Okay. So for the Switch version, the main difference is that yeah, you have actually one less character on the screen. So it's actually four versus four. Okay, good to know. Which I think maybe lends itself a little bit better to console just because it seems like <laughs> there's a lot of four-player games out there. Yes, this is true. It's sort of the standard. Yeah, and I think if two people have Switches, then you have enough controllers for uh, four-player. Right. Probably the most key piece of information is that the game all takes place on one screen. 
So uh. everyone has the same view. You've got this, you know, stretched out view of a level. So you can basically choose at the beginning of the game whether you want to be a queen or a drone or either. You don't have a preference. And then the matchmaking kind of selects which you're going to be. If you happen to be a queen, you have a lot of advantages. You basically can fly around the stage, like you said, joust style. And you're able to sort of also pop up and down or left and right in the level, depending on the level design. Hmm, okay. The same way, you know, arcade games where you run off one side of the screen, you come off. Oh, so it loops. Yeah. As the queen, you can basically do whatever you want. It's <laughs> You can fly around. You can attack all the drones you want. There really is no penalty for dying, except if you're the queen. If you die three times, that is over. And that's called a military victory. Okay. Now, as a drone, you have the ability to collect these pellets and go stick them in a, like, almost like a honeycomb. Okay, collect your pellets and stick them. Yeah, and you're supposed to collect about, I I don't know, the number I think varies per level, but it's around 15, which sounds easy, but, you know, when things are going on and you're collecting these pellets and get eaten halfway between there and the hive, it takes a while to collect all those. But if you do manage to fill up all those you get an economic victory. Huh, okay. And then thirdly, there is a snail on the screen that starts in the middle of the level, and you have the ability as a worker bee to basically jump onto the snail and ride it to your side of the screen, which is either the left or the right, depending on which color you are. Okay. And if you make it to the end, then you get the snail victory. All right. Snail racing goodness, huh? Yeah, so there's essentially three ways to win. And if you're on that snail, you're very vulnerable. The queen can just come by and poach you. (laughs) Or a drone can sacrifice himself, and he'll actually be eaten by the snail. And that takes a while. That takes, like, you know, a good, like, Mm. maybe four seconds for the snail to finish eating your character. So it's like a good strategy. I've definitely seen sometimes, you know, snail victories averted just by somebody throwing their drone into the mouth of a snail. Brutal. Also, the drones have... It's not a phrase I ever thought we'd hear on Power Pros. (laughs) The drones also have the ability to upgrade to like a sort of a warrior drone. You get like different abilities like a sword, shield, mace. I think there's one that's just like a speedy upgrade. I haven't seen all of those, but basically you can kind of become this hybrid where you're not quite the queen because your death doesn't matter, (laughs) but uh, you do have the ability to like fly and attack things and kill other enemies. If you're just the drone, you have no ability to kill anything unless you're on the snail. (laughs) Now, I know it sounds like gibberish, but I'm telling you, every time you join a game, you're basically playing best of five. And I would say each round lasts no more than a minute. Maybe a little bit longer. All right. And essentially, you're just trying to beat the other team. So you're either blue team or gold team. And, you know, you're trying to pay attention to all these things going on. You know, there's a snail moving around. There's all these guys collecting pellets. And you can quickly glance and see how far along they are. You know, you might realize as the queen, you got to go camp the hive. So you can just, like, take out any of the worker bees that come up with pellets. But that's easier said than done. There's just a lot of nuance to it, but what's fun about it is that everyone's kind of on the same playing field. I will say, when you're playing in an arcade, it's easy because you can kind of yell like, hey, watch the snail, watch this. (laughs) But when you're playing online on Switch and you don't really have anyone else in the room, it's hard to communicate that. Now, there are some emotes. They added like some functionality where you can actually hold down the right shoulder button and then certain buttons will trigger like a 
hey, snail, or or an <laughs> expletive, but not really an expletive, uh, mm-hmm. you know, characters that look like an expletive. <laughs> sure, sure, like Hubert. Yes, exactly. So that's kind of how they get away with that. It does say there's some voice chat, but up to this point, I have not figured out how to make it work. Huh. It does look like there's a toggle button, but I've never heard anyone else talk, so I don't know if it's just me with some weird setting or what, but it does seem like they did put something in there like that, but not really sure how that's working so far. Does it use the Nintendo online Switch app or something like that? It's weird. As far as I can tell, it does not. But when you start a game, it says like, before you join, it'll say like, voice chat on, if that's selected on your settings. So yeah, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it is through the Switch app and I haven't checked it out yet, but there is something there. So not quite sure. Okay. All right. Good to know. But I will say that this game, you know, if you like like Rocket League, Rocket League is probably one of my favorite esports of all time. Mm-hmm. I think to me, Killer Queen is right up there. And the fact that it's now online and you're able to play it, it's super addictive. There's a nice, sweet, like metal soundtrack, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, performed by Power Glove, if you're into that band. Never heard of them, but I do like a good Power Glove. Yeah, I guess they cover some. Uh, video game soundtracks but this is pretty rocking and also the art style as you mentioned is all 8-bit 16-bit kind of that uh, pixelated arcade feel and it's something you should check out if you're into that style at all all right excellent very good to know thank you for uh, sharing your information on that one Mm-hmm. i hope you play it chris i want to uh, own you <laughs> we'll see we'll see if i get a chance to check this one out i definitely like to <laughs> sweet Anyway, moving along from one arcade-style game to another, a game I've been playing recently on Switch is Fightin' Rage. Oh. Yeah, this is a classic-style 2D co-op side-scrolling beat-em-up from the folks at Saba Game Dev, and this is a 2D brawler set in a world where humanoid mutant animals have rebelled against humans <laughs> and basically enslaved mankind and you are fighting back. It is chock full of humanoid cats and rats and pigs and whatnot. Furry fans are going to love it. <laughs> I got to be honest, I've seen screenshots of this game and it looks awesome. <laughs> well, you know, it is pretty darn fun to play as well. It feels very much like a classic 90s arcade beat-em-up. You know, at first you'll start playing and the gameplay seems, you know, kind of straightforward, but you will quickly discover there is hidden depth. There's a really good meaty feel to the action and it has a combo system that seems very influenced by Final Fight in that it's basically built so you can chain your combos easily into throws. It also supports up to three players, and it has three main playable characters. There is Gal, who is a girl that is so bouncy that my Shiranui would blush, (laughs) F. Norris, who is a ninja, and then Ricardo, who is a mutant bull. (laughs) Nice. And each character has their own moves, and, you know, the selection offers a good choice between power and speed. Ricardo is the power character, Gal and F. Norris are more the speed characters, There are also a lot of unlockables in the game, so the first thing I would advise anyone to do would be to buy the training mode as soon as possible to learn about the nuances like parrying and throw escapes and all the special moves. Because at first I started playing through it and I didn't realize all that stuff was in there. It was very informative to find that out. I bet. Anyway, the action is solid. It's a lot of fun just beating the crap out of loads of enemies. You know, if you attack with a real strong blow, they'll just sort of explode in a pile of bones and stuff. (laughs) 
Uh, I will say the environments are kind of generic and dark a lot of the time. On my first playthrough, like half of the areas I was in were just sort of these unidentifiable, dark, dreary places. But I say first playthrough because there are multiple routes through the game, there are multiple endings, and on my second playthrough, the places I encountered were much more colorful. Yeah, cool. In addition to that, there are just a lot of fun homages to classic beat-em-up games. <laughs> there is an island level that is straight out of Streets of Rage 2, <laughs> and like partway through that area, you get to fight a trio of ninja turtles and then play a surfing level. <laughs> All right. Um, and even the final boss is like straight out of Streets of Rage. And yeah, like any good beat-em-up, there is even an elevator level. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so it's you know kind of got almost everything you would want out of a classic arcade-style beat-em-up like this. It's also got, like I said, a lot of bonus features. There's a score attack, a time attack. You can choose to go into battle with a CPU-controlled partner. There's a versus mode where you can unlock like all the different enemies as playable characters, and there are even extra costumes. Now, as far as the main game goes, you know maybe it's not the most robust title out there but for an arcade style beat-em-up it is pretty darn fun and as a fan of the genre i would say it is totally worth getting yeah it looks awesome i kind of get a battletoads vibe from it <laughs> yeah yeah i can definitely see that yeah it's probably a little bit more battletoads than ninja turtles but really the emphasis is on you know the beat-em-up action there's no like you know crazy hardcore racing difficult levels like in uh, battletoads don't worry about that at least <laughs> now i'm seeing a, a screenshot where the perspective looks like i'm looking at a tube television can you tell me about that ah well yes i mean that's actually what it defaults to it does have a lot of old school options it lets you you know put in a crt filter <laughs> and it warps the screen like that i pretty quickly turned all that stuff off like i said a lot of it was kind of dark and there are a lot of special effects but i took off the blurring i took off the crt function i may just be regular old uh, you know 2d sharp pixel art i prefer to play it that way but if you do like it to have this old retro 90s screen look that's in there too awesome this one looks like one i want to pick up yeah if you like beat em ups check it out i had a lot of fun and now moving on to something totally different i have also been playing a game on switch titled 80 days and this game could not be any more different from the titles we have just been talking about. <laughs> yeah, it is basically a video game adaptation of Jules Verne's Around the World in 80 Days. And it's more or less a choose-your-own-adventure book, <laughs> you know? I had heard great things about this game on mobile, so I was glad to finally try it out. Pete, did you get to play it on mobile or this version or anything? Yeah, I actually did play it on mobile, and I am a big fan of the developer and some of the games they've made, and I actually really enjoyed this game. What did you think on Switch? Well, I mean, I kind of hate to say this because, <laughs> you know, in general, I'm a fan of visual novel type of games, but this game has the novel part. It just doesn't really have the visual part, and it pains me to say this, but I found it to be kind of boring. Mm. I mean, there is a lot of text. A lot, a lot of text. Yes, it's much more reading than it is a game. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely gamey elements in there. There's a lot of strategy involved as far as like buying items and selling items and maintaining your money and your health. But you, know, you really never know how things are going to progress very much like a choose your own adventure. It's like, okay, go to page 95. Oh, what's going to happen here? Oh, I have no idea. Let's just see what happens and find out. Because, like, you know, I bought an item saying, okay, well, I'll make a big profit when I go to this other city. But 
you know, I never got to go to the other city right. because there was never a train that took me there, you know? Yep. I never got to go to the place where it was worth 20 times what I paid for it. So you don't really know how your choices are actually going to influence what happens. It kind of seems random. I mean, it's not random. If you play through it a few times, you'll probably figure that out. But you don't really know on your first playthrough. And, you know, that's kind of true with other visual novels as well. But without the visual hook, I just wasn't pulled in. You know, you're going to these wondrous cities and going to these steampunk worlds. You know, it's a very fictionalized version of the, is it late 1800s or early 1900s? I'm not quite sure. But, you know, you don't really ever get to see this stuff. And without that visual hook, I just wasn't pulled in. I mean... It's great that I led a mutiny on a trans-Pacific boat trip. That sounded very exciting, but it would have been kind of cool to see it. Yeah. No, I can see that. And honestly, I think that's why, to me, a mobile version of this worked a little bit better, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Just because it's like something where you're okay, just like kind of, you know, you're on your commute and you're reading versus the Switch where, you know, you could be playing Witcher 3, (laughs) (laughs) but instead you're playing 80 Days. Right, right. And also, there's really not much in the way of challenge here. I mean, I did not do very well. It took me 110 days to go around the world. I kind of sucked hardcore. (laughs) But then, at the end of the journey, my partner was like, Okay, old chap, let's do it all again, and this time we'll go fast enough. (laughs) So... You know, granted, there is a lot to experience. There is a lot to see or not see, as the case may be. There are tons of routes and tons of choices and lots and lots of text. And, you know, if that's what you want out of a game, then this definitely delivers. But the virtual absence of, you know, a presentation really just kind of turned me off from this title, I'm sad to say. But it is worth mentioning that the copywriting is very good. Yes, yes. The writing is fantastic. No (laughs) argument from me there. So if you're into that sort of thing, then uh, yeah, go wild. But yeah, I think to me, it kind of depends on the asking price. I think if, if I were to pick this up on a sale, who knows, maybe. Yeah, that's a good point. The asking price on Switch is 13 bucks compared to like five bucks on mobile. So yeah, that's definitely something to think about. So, moving back into the more action-focused Switch releases, I've also been spending time with The Ninja Saviors, Return of the Warriors. (laughs) Ah, this is another one I've wanted to play. Yeah, this game is pretty cool. It is a classic 2D revival of the old Ninja Warriors titles. I don't know if you're aware of the series, but Ninja Warriors was originally an arcade game, and then it got a sequel on the Super Nintendo, and this is a remake of that game. I know that I beat that game on the Super NES back in the day, but I don't remember a darn thing about it. But I do know I'm having a blast with this remake. Tell me more. Well, first of all, it looks great as far as 2D games go. It's got some fantastic, gorgeous pixel art. Second, you play as robot ninjas fighting against an oppressive, tyrannical government, and you really can't go wrong with that, right? All right, I'm uh, going out to pick this thing up. (laughs) Yeah, can't do much better than robot ninjas. (laughs) Now... As far as the level designs go, there's not a whole lot in the way of variety. It's just you know pretty typical stuff. City streets, military bases, factories. You do get to fight through a shopping mall. In a lot of ways, it's kind of a straightforward action game. And in some ways, it's almost a beat-em-up because there is a significant emphasis on grabs and throws, but there's no like vertical movement moving up and down into the screen. It's just you know strictly side-scrolling. But really what makes this game fun is mastering your character's moves and using them to stylishly beat the crap out of eight levels chock full of enemies. 
Initially, there are three very different characters with uh, not very innovative names. You have uh, Kunoichi, who is sort of the standard character. She can do regular melee attacks, she can jump, she can do throws. She is much more agile than her counterpart, who is Ninja, who is really the power character. He's much less agile. He does dashes instead of standard jumps. He has a really cool elbow drop. And then there is the super agile robot who can also jump, but doesn't have a standard throw attack. You can only throw mid-combo. Plus, there are unlockable characters, including this sort of tiny woman who looks like she has an enormous bouncy upper chest, but is actually concealing gigantic Dr. Octopus arms. Hmm, that makes sense. Yeah, um, so it's fun learning to use each character's abilities and deciding how to crush your enemies with their various skills and figuring out how to deal best with each enemy type. I mean, most of the enemies are pretty dumb and brain dead, but you know, that's the kind of arcade-style game that this is. Now, I'm seeing a screenshot of a boss that has a chainsaw. That's pretty rad. <laughs> yes, I believe that is the boss from the second level. Strangely, I found it to be a lot easier than the first boss. With some of the quicker characters, I was just able to beat the crap out of Chainsaw Guy before he could do basically any damage to me. But uh, yeah, learning you know how you can use those abilities to your advantage is a lot of the fun. Um, however, you know I would say there are a few flies in the ointment, so to speak. Like one of the things you can do in this game is pick up and throw environmental objects, but it was kind of seeming random when I could do this. Like, you know, sometimes I would just walk up to, say, a motorcycle. I could pick it up and throw it. And then sometimes it just wouldn't happen. Like, <laughs> I had to be very, very precise, like find the perfect pixel to be able to pick this thing up. So I'm not quite sure what I was doing wrong. And that can be kind of annoying in a pinch. Yeah. Another issue with the game is that, yeah, it is kind of short with only eight levels. But keep in mind, it must be completed in one sitting, there is no save function. So if you play up to like level six or level seven and then quit and want to come back later, nope, too bad. You are starting all over back at stage one. So it was basically like when I was a kid, you know, I was like, oh, I have to go out and do something. Time to just leave the game on pause yeah. and, uh, you know, come back to it a couple hours later. Oh, my. Let's hope that uh, no one starts playing in the meantime. Yeah, that's uh, that's rough. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's not a very long game. You can play through it in just a couple of hours. Sure. But uh Still, you know, in this day and age, you kind of expect everything lets you just give a temporary save like that and come back later. Anyway, there is some additional content in the game. It does have a hard mode as well as a time attack challenge and the aforementioned unlockable characters. But yeah, this game is not especially heavy on content. Also, it does have a two-player simultaneous mode, but I haven't tried that yet. But I am excited to. If only I live next door. <laughs> ah, well, that'll be trouble. <laughs> Anyway, I am really enjoying this game so far. I am looking forward to playing through it again with a friend or a nemesis. <laughs> a couple additional warnings. The end boss was super frustrating for me at first until I discovered there was sort of a gimmick involved. But then after that, it actually became super fun, like one of the most fun boss fights I've played in a while. Also, the ending was like really depressing. So it's like, do I have to you know, beat it without continuing to get the good ending or something? Do I have to play through it in hard mode? I don't know. Anyway, that aside, this is an excellent, highly polished 2D action game. And uh, if you are into those, this is a great one to add to your collection. Sweet. Sounds fun. Yeah, it definitely is. And then, last but not least, I wanted to mention Untitled Goose Game. Ah, now, Chris... You promised me you weren't going to review this one without me. 
<laughs> Sorry, Nemi, I just couldn't resist. Although, actually, I wasn't even necessarily going to get this game, but after seeing it soar to the top of the charts and hearing all the hype, you know, I had to play it and, uh, you know, give some early impressions of it myself, you know? Well, plus, you do play every game with uh, Fal as the main character. <laughs> do I? That's possibly true, very possibly true. But yeah, I mean, you know, I'd heard so much about the game and people seemed very impressed that you could play as a goose. But I was like, OK, how's the gameplay? Is it actually fun? So, you know, I figured I unfortunately couldn't wait for you, Pete. I had to dive in and try it for myself. All right. And what's the verdict? Well, I've only played through a few areas so far, but I will say it is at least, you know, pretty decent. <laughs> it's basically, you know, a adventure puzzle game, but it is very unique. I would Possibly call it tactical goosepionage action, oh, wow. if you will. But yeah, you know, you play as a goose and you have to interact with the environment and you honk at people to harass them and you are basically just being annoying and completing objectives. Uh, it's kind of like what uh, you would do all day at work when we were at Nintendo Power, Pete. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but yeah, you're just sort of given these arbitrary goals, sometimes just as simple as grabbing an item and moving it somewhere so someone can't get it or maybe honking at a person at a specific time when they're performing an action, and that will achieve your goal. Or maybe it's something more complex, like one of the early goals is you have to make the gardener put on a different hat. So you have to figure out how to make the gardener get into a situation where you can steal his hat, then you hide the hat, and then he has to go get a new hat. <laughs> but I will warn you, this game is not for the easily bored or frustrated. You know, there is the instant gratification of being a goose and honking at people and stealing their stuff and being annoying, but to actually complete the goals takes a lot of experimentation. You have to figure out what you can do and how the characters are going to react and how that opens up new possibilities in the game. And there don't seem to be a lot of hints, even early on. So, you know, just remember, you're going to have to try things out and you know, you're not going to just have the goals handed to you. Yeah, it seems cool. I mean, it seems like it's one of those games you just have to kind of try a bunch of stuff. And then as you see things kind of happening, you kind of piece together what's supposed to work. Right. Exactly. Exactly. One other thing I do like about the game, though, is that it really does, you know, kind of authentically simulate a goose. You know, the way that the goose moves and the way it acts, the way it looks at people and the way that the people look at you all seem pretty realistic. And, you know, you can't do anything especially ridiculous, at least not so far. But, uh, yeah, it is actually a fairly legitimate goose simulation, believe it or not. <laughs> I just like that there's a honk button. Oh, yeah, it's a key feature, man. <laughs> it is funny because just a goose on its own just kind of keeps people on their toes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, that's certainly the case in this game. You know, like I said, it really does have characters reacting that I think they would really react to a goose. You know, the way they try to ward it off and the way they're sort of keeping an eye on it out of the corner of their eye. Yeah, they clearly studied their subject well. My friend told me his son was watching him play this game and was like, that goose is not being very respectful. <laughs> that's definitely true if you want a respectful goose you will have to look elsewhere <laughs> anyway it remains to be seen how it holds up in the long term i've only played maybe an hour hour and a half but it definitely is amusing and unique and it's a good counterbalance to the arcadey beat-em-up and action games i've been playing as of late so yeah i think it is definitely worthy of all the attention it's been getting awesome i cannot wait to play this one Okay, I look forward to hearing your thoughts about it as well. Hong Kong. <laughs>
Anyway, that takes care of all of our impressions for this week. I mean, we're still like barely scratching the surface of the new releases. You know, we aren't even talking about Overwatch or Witcher 3 or the Fortnite update or all those Baldur Gate games. But yeah, that was still a lot of worthwhile stuff that we've been playing over the last couple of weeks. There's not enough hours in the day, Chris. <laughs> no, no, there definitely is not. But nonetheless, we should move along and talk about a little bit of news. And this week in the news, all of gaming's great ones are here. That's right, Mario, Sonic, and even Green Mario. They're all here for your gaming delight. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yeah, Pete, so uh, there was a Super Mario Maker 2 update earlier this month, a couple of weeks ago. Have you uh, gone back, revisited that game, checked out any of the new features that were added? I have not, but I have intended to. Well, it's not like a super major update, but it does add some important features. Most notably, it has the play with friends mode. You know, that was sort of a big omission before, but now you can actually play multiplayer co-op or versus with people on your friends list instead of just random strangers. So definitely good to have that in there. Also, you get better control over which stages you play in multiplayer, which uh, is also a good feature to have. Oh, yeah, that is a good feature. They also added LAN play, which I'm not really sure how that's different from nearby play, but that's something that's also been put in there. Plus, there is the official makers section of the online leaderboard, so you can now play these official Nintendo-created courses, such as the special event courses that were made for the Super Mario Maker 2 Invitational 2019, and things of that nature. I assume it will be expanded as more events come up. Pretty cool. But then, maybe, most importantly, is the promise that there will be more updates, including new course parts, in the future. Well, I want new course parts. <laughs> well, so do I, so do I. Yeah, this didn't really drag me back into Mario Maker 2, but I think the new parts absolutely will do that trick. But, you know, I'm glad to see that Nintendo is continuing to support and expand this game, and hopefully it'll get lots of cool new features like the first game did. Yeah, no kidding. Forever and ever. <laughs> we can only hope. Another cool bit of news is that Sega has revealed that Sonic the Hedgehog is going to be appearing in Super Monkey Ball Banana Blitz HD. <laughs> yeah, I read that and I was like, wow, my interest to purchase has gone up 100%. Yeah, I don't know why, but it's sort of the same for me <laughs> as well. You know, we knew that the Switch port of this game was coming on October 29th, and we know that there's no new Sonic platformer this year. You know, we got the racing game earlier this year. We're having the Olympic game coming out soon as well. But, uh, you know, seeing Sonic make an appearance in Super Monkey Ball does seem kind of cool. It's like sort of the crossover I never knew I wanted. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I don't know why I care, but I do. And uh... Yeah, same here, same here. But, you know, it sort of makes sense because, you know, Sonic is known for curling up into a ball and rolling around and stuff. So it seems like it would fit really well, except in this game, he doesn't curl up into a ball. He just walks around inside the ball like the monkeys do. So <laughs> I feel like there's kind of a bit of a missed opportunity there. He does have that, like, that shield or whatever that he gets and uses that. Oh, that's true. That's true. Maybe that's what the ball is supposed to be in this case. So that would make sense. Because, yeah, it does have a lot of Sonic goodness in there. Not only is he in here as a hidden character, but when you play as him, all of the bananas in the game turn into rings instead. It's kind of too bad they aren't chili dogs, but, you know, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty awesome. 
Yeah, there's no word on how to unlock him yet. And, you know, there's no word if playing as him makes you go super fast and makes the game, like, ridiculously hard or anything. But, uh, yeah, like you were saying, it is a pretty nifty inclusion in there that makes the game just that much more appealing. Uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, totally intended, Pete. You you got me. <laughs> yeah, this is on top of all the other stuff in the game. 100 plus levels, 10 multiplayer mini games, enhanced graphics, all that goodness. And uh, as I said, it comes out in just a couple of weeks. The last bit of news I wanted to mention today is that the folks at First Four Figures have revealed this really cool-looking Luigi's Mansion 3 statue that's coming out soon. You know, the folks at First Four have been making high-end collectibles from a lot of major franchises. There's a lot of Zelda stuff, Mario, Sonic, Metroid, Kirby, Mega Man, Ace Attorney, Castlevania, you name it. If it's a classic franchise, they are probably making some sort of high-end statue for it. But... Now they have announced a 9-inch tall Luigi's Mansion PVC statue, and it might be one of their best offerings yet. It's Luigi and the Polter Pup, with Luigi sort of cowering and holding on to his Poltergust G00, and he's got this great terrified look on his face. It also features built-in LED lighting effects on the Poltergust and the Polter Pup, as well as glow-in-the-dark Polter Pup footprints on the base. It is... I would say, one of the best collectible renditions of Luigi that I've ever seen. Yeah, it's really pretty cool. Yeah, I would say the sculpting is excellent. Now, at 115 bucks, it is not at all cheap, but it certainly is more affordable than a lot of their high-end stuff. Like, some of their statues run for, like, you know, $300, $400, or even more. Still, you know, that price is a bit of a deal-breaker for me, so I'm definitely not going to get it. But still, it is pretty fantastic, and uh, it would be a cool thing to have on my shelf. Well, maybe if you're good, it'll show up under your Christmas tree. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to bet my beard on it, but uh, that would be pretty nice. (laughs) Okay, that takes care of news for this week. Why don't we answer a little bit of listener mail? Oh man, it's been forever. Well, for you it definitely has. (laughs) Anyway, we've only got one letter this week, and it comes from our good friend Brian Booth. And he writes... I couldn't have asked for a better answer to my Genesis question. You guys pretty much covered all the bases, and it's hard to complain when the library is this packed. But for my nostalgia's sake, I'd love to have seen X-Men and Spider-Man vs. the Kingpin in the collection. These weren't great games by any means, but they were fun diversions in their way, and the sound production on both of them was top-notch. They were fan service games in the best ways with the enemy selections, and the characters controlled just how you would have expected. It is a shame that Sonic 3 and Knuckles seem to have been lost to licensing issues. Fortunately, I still have my old Wii set up in our kids' playroom and a copy of the Sonic Mega Collection for GameCube so I can break it out from time to time. Looking forward to the next show as always. I'm interested to hear whether either of you tried out Untitled Goose Game. It's bumped up to the top of my list for next indie purchase, pushing Ori, The Messenger, and Hollow Knight back down a slot. I know it doesn't look like a big game, but I can't imagine one that's as sadistically fun and child-friendly at the same time. Keep podcasting with power. (laughs) Wow, man, rubbing in that I haven't played the Goose game. (laughs) I guess so, I guess so. Yeah, hopefully, Brian, we answered your untitled Goose game questions already. The final verdict is still TBD, but so far, so good. As for your uh, Genesis comments, you know, I wouldn't mind playing the old X-Men or Spider-Man games again myself, but, you know, I do kind of wonder how they would do that X-Men game if it had been included in any collection or on the Genesis Mini. You know, for those unaware, it's actually the most fourth-wall breaking game ever made. 
To get past one of those later levels, you actually needed to reset the Genesis with the console's reset button, which is simultaneously like the best and most cruel, unintuitive thing I've ever encountered in a video game. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah. You know, it's like, reset? Really? Really? You know, would that even be possible in a port? I'm sure they could find some sort of workaround, but it wouldn't be nearly as sadistically cool. Anyway, thanks for writing in, Brian. And you keep listening with power. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Anyway, that's all I've got for letters this week, so I think it is time to close up the mailbag and take an intermission. Uh, Chris, I think you're forgetting something. Oh, what's that, Pete? You're forgetting one of my favorite segments. Huh. You haven't been on the show for so long, I, I can't even possibly imagine what that could be. Give me a hint. It's called Hassle the Hop. Oh, right, right. Okay, yeah, I guess I should have remembered that. My bad. (laughs) Okay, well, what do you have for me this week, Pete? Dear Video Game Professor Hopper. Yes? If you could make a game based on any animal other than a goose, what would it be? (laughs) Well, that's almost too easy a question, Pete, and I think the answer is obvious to anyone who has heard me on the podcast or follows me on Twitter. Naturally, I would make a game about a capybara. <laughs> now, wouldn't a capybara game be really simple? Like, wouldn't you just, like, lay around, eat stuff, and get eaten? Well, I mean, I suppose that's one way you could do it, but the idea I've always had is called capybara dreaming. Like, you know, obviously capybaras just, they lie around, they sleep, they eat all day, but you got to believe when that capybara is, you know full of nice, delicious grasses and just taking a nap all day long. What is he dreaming about? Is he dreaming about, you know, maybe putting on a cape and becoming a superhero? Is he dreaming about, you know, maybe saving the city from Godzilla or something? Maybe he's dreaming about, uh, you know, getting into a race car and winning the NASCAR race. Or maybe he dreams that he is a capybara that knows capoeira. I want to take that capybara's dreams and see them turned into a video game. (laughs) You're a weird man, Hoffman. (laughs) Well, I think you got me pegged there. (laughs) All we need now is a good developer to uh, make it actually happen. All right. Anyone listening, uh, now's your chance. That's right. Have a bar dreaming. Let's make it so. Okay. Now that you've been exposed to that bit of weirdness, it is definitely time for us to take an intermission. And then when we come back, we will discuss this week's big topic, the last of the Wii U ports. We are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which we are calling the last of the Wii U ports. 
First of all, before we get into the topic directly, something that crossed my mind recently, Pete, was why does everybody seem to really want ports these days? Like, you know, it used to be when people would get a new system, and if it were loaded with lots of last-gen games that you need to buy all over again, it would be like, well, you know, I don't want to play these old games again on the new hardware. That seems kind of unexciting to me personally. But if there's one thing I have noticed from being online recently, it's that there is this unquenchable demand for ports. Like, people don't just want to have ports of these older games. They expect it. They crave it. <laughs> they demand it. They almost seem entitled to it. Like, every game from a previous generation like absolutely must be on current <laughs> systems, especially on Switch, you know? Well, with Switch, it makes sense because, you know, you want to be able to play your game anywhere. Well, I can understand with the portability, it does kind of you know add a new twist to it because a lot of these games you could never play on the go. So at least there is that aspect to it. But you know, not to put on my old man hat too much, but you know, like you know, a few generations ago, this sort of thing was unthinkable. Like you know, if the GameCube was all N64 ports, people would have been pretty darn ticked off. You know, <laughs> if we were all GameCube ports, they would also be ticked off. You know, even Wii U, I think people would have been upset with Wii ports but with switch yeah i mean even the most obscure game is kind of met with the cries of switch port when <laughs> and uh, you know i don't entirely get it you know maybe you're right maybe it is just the portability factor and that makes it much much more appealing but you know for me personally you know i've still got my old systems i hook them up and play them if that need hits me so uh, i just find it to be a very interesting phenomenon i think to me personally a lot of people do just want it, the portability aspect because you know, some people, that's all they get to play. Like, in their specific circumstances, uh, you know, I'm very similar right now. I don't actually own a television having just moved. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So I'm playing the Switch a lot. Yeah, I left it my old place. So, yeah, until that happens, uh, the Switch will be my console of choice. Wow. Crazy, crazy. But, you know, I kind of feel like in addition to that factor, I think just the way things have evolved like with mobile gaming maybe has a lot to do with it. Like every time you buy a new mobile device, you can pretty much still play all your old games on it, even though it's a brand new device. And I also think that perhaps Virtual Console with Wii sort of introduced this concept to Nintendo fans, you know, being able to play your old stuff just pretty much at any time on your current system. So yeah, it's sort of with that in mind, where we're coming from with this week's big topic. You know, the Switch has had a crap ton of ports, and, you know, people are very happy with that fact, you know. There are so many last-gen ports on Switch, it almost seems like there is no reason to own a Wii U anymore. <laughs> it seems like pretty much everything that is worthwhile has been ported or will be ported in the near future, especially when we're seeing stuff that's, you know, deeper cuts, like Tokyo Mirage Sessions on the way, right? Yeah, who knew? <laughs> but, you know, we're not quite there yet. There are still a few Wii U games that have not made the jump so far, and that's what we're talking about in this week's big topic. If we could only get five more Wii U ports before, you know, Reggie comes and visits everybody's home and personally smashes the Wii U's <laughs> out of existence so Nintendo could pretend it never happened, you know, what should these five games be? This sounds very dangerous, Chris, you know, like the, like a monkey's <laughs> paw or something. We're making five wishes here. <laughs> well, 
hopefully they are only good wishes and only good games. But uh, hey, you know, the choice is up to you. So yeah, let's dive in and pick what these five games should be. Where would you start if you could only get five more Wii U ports brought over to Switch? Wait, are you saying I can't do the uh, Animal Crossing uh, non-game? <laughs> you could if you want to. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. Up to you, up to you. Where would you start? Well, I think this one is probably the most glaring, obvious choice, but I think, for my money, Super Mario 3D World would make an excellent addition to the Switch library. Yeah, I think I definitely have to agree with you there. It is on my list as well, and is probably the most prominent game to not yet have a Switch port. I mean, we got the new Super Mario Bros. U transferred over, to switch already, but we don't have Super Mario 3D World, and I would say that Super Mario 3D World is far and away the superior game. Yeah, I would say that as well, and it is just probably tragic to me that not that many people have played it just because it was only on Wii U. Yeah, I think that is a very good point as well, because it was a really, really fun Mario game that had a really great balance between the traditional 2D side-scrolling new SMB gameplay and the open-ended 3D gameplay of other Mario games. But they pulled it off, and it works really, really well. Yeah, plus, you know, you can turn into a cat. Like, what other (laughs) power-up would you want? Yeah, exactly. You know, if people have been maybe introduced to this game through Super Mario Maker 2, but didn't get a chance to actually play the game on Wii, yeah, they'll discover, hey, it's got a cat suit, it's got cat Mario, it's got cat Peach, it's even got Meowser in there, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't even want to spoil it, but yeah, there's cat other people too. Yeah, it's hard to go wrong with a character named Meowser. (laughs) Yeah, thinking about that, you're right. But um, also on top of that, I would say this is probably the best multiplayer Mario game. You know, thanks to the fact that there is 3D movement, you aren't constantly getting in your friend's way like you do in the new Super Mario Brothers games. So it really is kind of the best of both worlds. You know, I'm not going to say the game is better than Odyssey or even Galaxy or anything like that. But I would say it is one of the best games on Wii U. And if we're going to keep getting ports from that system, we might as well have this one because it is quite fantastic. Yeah, you might as well get the best of the best. For sure. Well, moving along from there, one of the games that I would pick would be Xenoblade Chronicles X. Ah, you're obsessed. (laughs) Well, I mean, I do like the Xenoblade Chronicles games. You are not wrong about that. (laughs) But, you know, to be honest, when that port of the first Xenoblade Chronicles was announced for Switch, you know, I was thinking, boy, I would have much rather have gotten Chronicles X than Xenoblade Chronicles 1. I think a lot of people have never played that game. And in fact, even though I own that game, I have never completed it myself. And it really seems like the Wii U was a little bit too underpowered for this game. I mean, I remember when I got it, you were supposed to download these massive files to your internal Wii U memory to be able to minimize load times, (laughs) provide the best experience. And it basically filled up like my entire internal memory. I think maybe I even had to get a hard drive just so I could play this game properly. Anyway, I wasn't even sure that was providing me the best experience, so it kind of really turned me off from the game, and I ended up kind of just putting it aside and never going back to it. But, you know, I really do remember how amazing the world seemed. I know the soundtrack is fantastic. I even bought the soundtrack on CD because it was so good. But there's so much of the game I never got to experience. I mean, I never even got to the part where you get to actually get into the mech suits and fight enemies that way, which is kind of a major new feature. So I would really like to experience this game and with the technical improvements that could be done 
on Switch, I really think it would be beneficial for Xenoblade Chronicles fans to be able to play this entry that, you know, is probably going to be relegated to Nintendo's, you know, more unpopular system. Yeah, it's definitely a pretty game, and I can see what you're saying. It looks like a game that would not be on Wii U, graphically. Yeah, they were definitely uh, pushing the envelope there. And, you know, I really don't know. Maybe it would have been fine if I had downloaded those things and the load times wouldn't have been, you know, super extensive or anything. But I know that Switch would provide a better experience, you know, one way or another. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be great to end up having Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and 2 and X all the same system. So, you know, maybe after they have ported the first one over, they'll focus on this one. I mean, I'd probably rather have a brand new game instead, I suppose. But uh, still, it would be great to see this one come over. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So, what's next for you? Well, I'm going to go with another Nintendo first-party title. Makes sense. And pick Pikmin 3. Going to pick it, huh? I see what you did there. <laughs> uh, choose Pikmin 3? <laughs> well, I think it's a great choice. Everybody loves Pikmin. Yeah, it's just, it's funny. You know, the Switch is so popular, and we still haven't really received a full-fledged Pikmin title for it yet. I mean, we haven't even received a non-full-fledged Pikmin title yet. <laughs> no ports of Pikmin 1 or 2 or 3 or even that uh, 3DS game. Yeah. But yeah, this was a really, really good game on Wii U, and it really stood out to me as well. I mean, it just looked so darn pretty. I mean, for me, this was the game that really proved that Nintendo could do amazing, impressive things with HD visuals, and I think people are eager to go back into the world of Pikmin, but, you know, I'm not necessarily sure we need to do it with a brand new game. I think it would be fine to just go back to this one. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the ones that I uh, played and beat, and I just think it would be a welcome addition to the uh, library. Yeah, I think it would. I think there are a lot of people that haven't played it. And even though I actually own the game, I never played that far into it myself. I just got distracted by something. That's a bad habit I have. <laughs> you know, along with Dragon Quest, Pikmin is a series I keep buying them and then only playing a couple hours into them and not finishing them. So again, you know, maybe having it on Switch, having it in both console and portable form would be a way to get me to enjoy this title. Because yeah, every time I have tried, it's been like, yeah, this game is really, really good. Also, as I recall, you know, the game was kind of geared more towards using Wii controls, you know, like the Wii Remote and Nunchuck, than it was the Wii U gamepad, which was kind of strange. So I kind of feel like, you know, giving it another opportunity, giving Nintendo the chance to maybe rethink the controls a bit and determining what would work best, whether it's Joy-Cons or a Pro Controller or the touchscreen, would be a big benefit to the game as well. So that's another reason that I would like to see this one come over. And, you know... Like it is on your list, it is on mine as well. Yeah, with the official stylus coming out, that would be kind of funny if they went touch controls. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't want touch controls only, but I right. would like to see it be in there as an option. That would be pretty excellent, I would say. Yeah, same. So the next one for me would be DuckTales Remastered. Woo! <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, this is a game that we have talked about a bit recently. Honestly, out of all of the games that were on Wii U that aren't on Switch yet, this is probably the one I would consider my favorite. I mean, it was a fantastic 2D NES platformer 30 years ago, and then it was reborn and remade on more or less modern hardware with full voice acting and loads of other enhancements, including redesigned levels, a couple of all-new stages, but the same addictive pogo-jumping, golf-club-swinging gameplay. 
you know, unfortunately, it's also probably the least likely game on <laughs> Wii U to be ported to Switch since, as we discussed, you know, Capcom's license for the game recently expired with Disney and it was pulled from digital distribution. It's not on storefronts on Switch or Steam or anything else anymore. So the assumption would be they are not planning any sort of port or anything anytime soon. But man, there really, really should be because this game was so darn good. Yeah, definitely a bummer. It would be uh, the perfect game for Switch, really. Yeah, I mean, I would buy it all over again just for the music alone. You know, those remixes of the Moon Tunes, Transylvania Tunes, nothing short of fantastic. Well, maybe the NES one will come out on the NES Classic. <laughs> I wouldn't count on that, but yeah, I would accept a port of the uh, Disney Afternoon uh, collection that came out on other systems. That would be great on Switch as well. All right, one can hope. Yep. I'll keep hoping. So what's next for you? Well, this one I've heard rumors about, and honestly, I'm kind of surprised at this point it's not already on Switch. But the game that kind of always captured my attention on uh, Wii U is Wonderful 101. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, that's right. People have been kind of having some rumblings about that for quite a while, but it has not materialized. We have gotten ports of the Bayonetta titles, but uh, as far as Platinum games go, yeah, no sign of the Wonderful 101 just yet. Yeah, it just seems like a game that deserves a second shot at being popular and letting people play it. You know, I really, from the art style to the sort of quirky gameplay, I really did enjoy it when I played it on Wii U, but I just think, you know, like I said, it deserves sort of a second breath on Switch. Yeah, you know, I ended up picking up this game when it was, like, on a 50% off sale or something. And I really haven't played that much of it. But, you know, it was just so quirky and weird and goofy. I think a lot of people just weren't able to understand it, even if they did own a Wii U, you know. I mean, even after playing it, I don't quite understand it. (laughs) Yeah, and I didn't even realize that the 100 or the, the quirky characters and the number one is you. (laughs) i'm not sure i realized that either (laughs) but uh yeah i mean the game is from platinum so i feel like if i did sit down with it and spent the time you know learning the nuances and you know sort of figuring out how it's this weird combination of action and strategy and you're kind of you know turning regular people into superheroes and stuff i would kind of see what the fuss is all about and you know from a first party perspective and, you know, a major developer perspective, I would say this is one of the more conspicuously missing titles that has not gotten a port yet. So, yeah, I would totally be down with this as well. You know, it does seem to be sort of an acquired taste, but the people who have acquired it seem to really embrace the game and love it and talk about how great it is and people are missing out. So I say, sure, bring it on. Yeah, without a doubt. I think it definitely deserves another uh, shot at life. Agreed. All right. Uh, what else is next for you, Chris? Well, you know, I have to say that list of five games is kind of sort of perhaps the five I would go with, with a little asterisk by its side. Because if I was really just talking about games that were on Wii U that I would want to see ported over to Switch, I'm kind of tempted to say The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess HD. But then, you know, part of me is like, does that even count as a (laughs) Wii U game since it was originally, you know, a GameCube and a Wii game? I'm not really sure. I mean, you know, it's hard to go wrong with Zelda. 
And if it does indeed count as a Wii U port, you know, being the HD version all, then yes, I would totally go with that one. It feels like there's been a lot of backlash against Twilight Princess recently, but uh, for me, it is still one of my favorite traditional 3D Zelda games. You know, I love pretty much everything about it. I love the aesthetic, I love the dungeons, I love the overworld, and uh, yeah, it, to me, is just a great game in that series. So, you know, if we're going to go into the HD remake territory, that would totally be one for me. Do you think that's fair or not? Uh, I don't know if it's fair, but it's your podcast, so you can do whatever you want. <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, what's your next pick going to be? Well, for me, same thing. I think <laughs> if we can slide one more in that's basically an HD remake that wasn't really originally on the console, I think I have to go with Wind Waker. <laughs> All right. Well, now I see. Now I see. <laughs> Yeah, Wind Waker for me is just one of those games that is so pretty and so stunning that pretty much anytime you pick it up and play it, there's just like something to look at or something to go explore. You know, obviously, save for the massive ocean that (laughs) you spend a lion's share of the game traversing, the game just has like some of the most memorable music, some of the most memorable characters and lands. I don't know. It just seems like it would be a great one to be able to pick up and play wherever you are. Yeah, and you know, the sword play, I would say, might be the best in the entire franchise. It's just so much fun to just get in there, even with you know, the sword of this little character with this little sword. <laughs> it's just so fun to get in there and start you know, hacking up the enemies, you know, spinning around them, chopping off their armor and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just really, really great from a gameplay perspective. Yeah, you're right. There is something fun about the sword play in that game. And it has one of the best legendary battles with Ganon, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is pretty darn epic. The ending is pretty darn fantastic and jaw-dropping and shocking, really, as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I guess fair is fair. If I pick Twilight Princess, then I guess you can pick Wind Waker. I mean, to be honest, I could really go either way. I mean, they're both such great games. So is that it for you, Pete? Or is there one more? For me, I actually would want one more shot to play Star Fox Zero. Huh, Star Fox Zero. You know, personally, I would say leave that one on the <laughs> Wii U and kind of forget about it, but uh, okay, fair enough. Well, I, I don't feel like I truly gave it a fair shake, and maybe I'm totally just obsessed with Slippy and... Uh, or Uncle Grippy, more likely. Or Uncle Grippy, perhaps. But I would like to get one more chance to play it. The Wii U's in the box. I'm not going to be picking that up again. So the only way I'm going to end up playing Star Fox Zero is if it uh, magically appears on my Switch. Uh, Well, I gotta say, you're probably not missing anything by not getting (laughs) that one, but uh, I guess I can see where you're coming from. Personally, I think I'd rather just have uh, Ubisoft make a from-the-ground-up brand-new Star Fox. We can kind of forget that Star Fox here ever happened, but uh, all right, who am I to judge? (laughs) I mean, I'm right there with you too, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just didn't play it enough to know how bad it was. (laughs) Or maybe I didn't give it enough of a shot either. Could be that way as well. Wow, look at that nemesis working together. Uh, Anyway, in summary, my five picks would be Super Mario 3D World, Xenoblade Chronicles X, Pikmin 3, DuckTales Remastered, and The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess HD. All right, and my five would be Super Mario 3D World, Pikmin 3, Wonderful 101, Star Fox Zero, and Wind Waker HD. Well, we got a bit of crossover there. But yeah, between the two of us, we've probably named every single worthwhile Wii U game that is not on Switch already. So uh, yeah, if these do end up being the final 
ports. I think we've got our bases pretty well covered. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what's left. Indeed, indeed. All right. With that in mind, I think it is time for us to finish off this week's big topic and bring this week's podcast to a close. Woo, we made it. However, before we do that, we do have time for one more thing, and that is, as you might expect, a dramatic reading. <laughs> this time, it is the eShop description of the Nintendo Switch game, A Winter's Daydream. A boy returns to his countryside home after spending half a year in the city, only to discover the unimaginable. His elderly grandmother has transformed into a cute young girl. <laughs> Hijinks ensue. What? 19-year-old Yu can't stand his younger sister, Otoko, and the feeling is mutual. It's been almost a year since Yu saw her last, having escaped his dreary hometown to study in the bustling city. But with the advent of New Year's, he finds himself obligated to return to his family to celebrate. Unfortunately, Yu's absence has not softened his younger sister, and Otoko is just as sullen and surly as ever before. <laughs> Finding the atmosphere at home unbearable, Yu decides to escape once more. Not to the city this time, but to his grandmother's snowy, secluded village. The reunion between grandson and grandmother starts normally at first, until one moonlit night when the pair witness a star streaking through the sky. The following morning, Yu enters the kitchen, still half asleep, to discover. Who are you? What are you doing in my grandmother's house? That his grandmother has transformed into a cute young girl. What is the reason behind his grandmother's drastic change? Will you be able to restore her to her original self? And why is she so adorable? <laughs> Features. Story by Ibe Hime, author of Sweetest Monster, Blackberry Honey, and The Way We All Go. Around 50,000 words of text, approximately three to four hours of reading. Wow. Detailed background and character art. A custom OST. A kinetic story with no choices or branches. <laughs> a very cute grandmother. I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> it definitely sounds weird to me as well. But the thing that kind of got me was that part at the end there where it's like, there are no choices. This is just <laughs> basically a straightforward book you're reading. But it's a, kin like, it's a kinetic story, Chris. I don't even know what that means. Yeah, I don't know. Is it? I'm not sure it is. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds like it has the possibility to get pretty darn weird. I'm not sure I want it to get that weird. Yeah, I don't think I need video games to take me to that place. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I am not going to find out. Maybe it gets weird, maybe it doesn't. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely a thing that's out there. Well, it's so. only five ninety nine, so if you change your mind. Well, that is true. But, uh, yeah, for this uh, very captivating, no choices, just straightforward reading, <laughs> eh, I'm not even sure it's worth that much. But who knows? Maybe it's amazing. Couldn't tell you. Um, but it has a very cute grandmother in it. That it definitely does, which is not a key feature you see in too many video games. I think that's the first time I've ever seen that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's the first time I've seen it listed in the eShop. Did you see the developer's name? 
No, I don't remember what it is. <laughs> Sometimes you. Uh-huh. Sometimes me, huh? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you. Interesting. Well, anyway, that does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com, and you can follow us at PowerProsPod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at ChrisTheHoff, and you can find Pete at BurlyReadyEddy. You can email us at PowerProsPod at gmail.com, and if you like the podcast, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Michaud. A very cute grandmother. And Rex from Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Now would be a good time for a nap. We will see you next time.